0: I'm Nikki Kristoff, and welcome to Tech This week's guest is AI enthusiast Austin Carson, whose nonprofit is working to get artificial intelligence projects launched in new and diverse communities across America. A note to our listeners, I've asked my podcast producer Selchuk if he can mute me cackling at my own jokes, and he says it's not possible because I cackle so loudly that it's picked up on the guest's microphone. So you know, that's a vibe. Today in the studio, we have Austin Carson, who's the president and founder of Seed AI. Welcome, Austin.
1: Hello. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for coming into the studio. I was we were just talking about podcasts before we started recording that it's mostly just free association. So
1: it's something I'm uniquely good at.
0: (laughs) Perfect. You're a perfect guest. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I want to start really quickly with Mm -hmm. you. You were a journalism major. You worked on The Hill. How did you go from that to becoming DC's AI guy?
1: (laughs) It's funny because even being called that makes me distinctly uncomfortable. There's a certain, you know, DC is a place for people that are conceptual understanders of things and then are able to put that into something that feels like it's pretty concrete and substantive by drawing on knowledge of a bunch of other people. And so I would say that's pretty much how and why to be as succinct as possible but ultimately i came up doing comms on the hill and then i was just kind of the token nerd in all of my offices i've ever been in and so my first legislative director was like man you will not shut up about this stuff and i hate it would you please take over tech policy in our office and so from then on i just kind of gravitated further and further in that direction until at the time at which i worked for then chairman now ranking member congressman mccall I pretty much only did that. I like ran the legislative office and then only worked explicitly on tech issues. So about the time I left the Hill and went to run, be the executive director of a think tank called Tech Freedom, I had gotten really involved in reading about AI, learning about AI. I mean, this is 2016. This is when I think it had started to get further and further into like the popular zeitgeist or the popular mindshare as a function of it being integrated into more and more products, right? At a larger scale. You know, and I think at that time was when we were like, okay, Netflix now has a sophisticated recommendation thing. Google, of course, Amazon, of course, Twitter, of course. I was looking to put together a project not dissimilar to seed AI, and one of my mentors recommended I reach out to NVIDIA and talk to them about it. And NVIDIA was like, "Mm, or you could just come work for us, which would be nice. And so I worked at NVIDIA for three and a half years, and there is no better place that I could imagine to learn about kind of the ecosystem, the nuts and bolts of artificial intelligence, and then the building blocks and what it takes to put it together. And because NVIDIA is on you know primary level, like a computing platform company, right, that has pivoted aggressively towards AI, it gives you visibility into what is everyone making? What is the next generation of technology? Like, where are things really going? Where's investment? So it gives you kind of half a dream of what ai is and could be and then it gives you a half very practical like this is where money is actually going
0: okay so we're going to talk about seed ai which mm-hmm. is this nonprofit that you started last fall but before we do that mm-hmm. there are right now in the zeitgeist a mm-hmm. lot of buzzwords that everybody's talking about metaverse mm-hmm. web3 nfts obviously non-fungible tokens and crypto which i would set in a different category but a lot of this stuff mm-hmm. In my opinion, it's theoretical. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I would say even marketing concepts Mm -hmm. more than actual new technical concepts. Mm -hmm. I've been to Web3 and I had to interact with a jillion intermediaries to get there. Mm -hmm.
1: So I've been to Web3. I have. (laughs) Been to the future. Yeah, yeah, I've been to the future and I paid
0: a toll to Mm -hmm. a bunch of different companies. Mm -hmm. So these seem like concepts and theories that aren't in practice. And you said something at South by Southwest a couple of weeks ago about there was this fear or maybe discomfort or maybe people were looking toward the future of what Mm -hmm. artificial intelligence could be like. And you said something about how we're already there with what we thought would be 50 years from now. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: I'm taking a little bit of license with what people are referring to in that instance. But people generally talk about artificial general intelligence as kind of the holy grail of AI or the thing they're terrified of. Right. People think of artificial general intelligence as, again, right now, AI, broadly speaking, is good at a thing, right? A specific narrow task. I explain AI to people as there's two sides of it. There's training AI and inferencing AI and those together make quote AI. Training AI in normal narrow applications is like you're going to learn how to cross a street. And so you're born as a baby, right? And every time you go up to a street and start to cross a street, you're training this fuzzy probability thing you have in your brain of what crossing a street's all about. Sometimes you run across the street, your mom will grab you and sometimes you almost get hit and whatever. And so over time, you get to the point where you're walking up to a street and you don't even think about it. You have a fully functioning model of what crossing a street looks like. Right. And the next time you walk up to a street, that's the inferencing part. So big computers come in, they do all that crunching of probability stuff. It makes this inference. You can cross the street or not. Most of the time it's unconscious, right? Now, where we're getting to now is closer to how our own minds work. Normally, all the other information about crossing the street in an AI has been kind of blocked out, right? But now we're getting to the point where we're just pouring a ton of data into these machines, not necessarily just totally tagged and labeled down to what is crossing the street stuff, but now it's just a ton of stuff. And so instead of it being like, okay, I'm filtering out everything else. You're like, oh, okay, I'm kind of learning how cars move, right? Or I'm kind of learning what the weather is like. And it's not quite the same, but if you look at the kind of cutting edge AI technology today, it just cobbles together the different connections between the data points. And then generally the system was designed to just understand human language and say like, what's next in a sentence. And yet now that they had used all that information in there, the systems developed general capabilities. Like it can write long form text. It can generate out code. As soon as they realized it could generate out they, being like large companies, realized it could generate out code, they all started making no-code platforms. So now you've gone from a thing that can help you write an article to a thing that can pretty much write a whole article to a thing that can also write code. And they figured out how to use the same types of models to generate images, to generate uh, video, right? And also to process and understand that. And those, ever since that technology came out, We've been in a new epoch. Now we're moving into, again, more novel technology. And now we're moving into a space where we unquestionably have general artificially intelligent technology, right? More general. Now, again, it's not totally general. It's not it has a human mind state, but that's not going to stay that. I mean, if you look at Jan LeCun, who's one of the godfathers of AI who works at Facebook, he just put out a paper about, you know, what it, what does a truly general AI look like? Does the, it look
0: like Scarlett Johansson?
1: Maybe. <laughs> These are incredible tools still, right? They don't have they they don't have agency in the sense that without a prompt, an AI doesn't do anything right yeah.
0: so wait okay yeah. let's back up mm-hmm. a lot okay normally okay, okay. i say i always say let's back up a speech yeah. but we're gonna yeah. back up a lot okay, okay, with okay. you mm-hmm. i worked in tech forever mm-hmm. and when i was working at google there was mm-hmm. something called google 411 you could call a number and get information mm-hmm. You could like that do a... is very funny okay so yeah. it was a phone number mm-hmm. and you would call google 411 and the idea was they were collecting what year is this it was 2007 hell
1: yeah carry on <laughs>
0: And they were collecting voice snippets Mm -hmm. for voice search. And we weren't really sure what we were going to do with the data, but those voice snippets ended up helping develop voice search. Mm -hmm. And then once we got early, early prototype voice search, I would be driving back up to my house in San Francisco. I lived right by the ballpark Mm -hmm. and I would say... What's the score of the Giants game? Because mm-hmm. then that would tell me what the traffic was going to be like. And over and over, it just said mm-hmm. Chinese checkers. I'm like, I'm not saying Chinese checkers. I'm yeah. saying Giants game. Yeah. So first, I think even before you get to predictive, meaning mm-hmm. what's the next word, it was just trying to recognize what mm-hmm. the heck you were saying. Right. And even now we get these harrowing stories of misidentifying what's in a photo. Right. We're right. sort of recognition. Mm-hmm. Then prediction, which you were just talking about, which is like, what's the next word? Mm-hmm. And then what you're saying is it goes beyond that into creating text, mm-hmm. photos, Generation. code. Generation, yeah. Okay, wait, and what's that called?
1: Generation. Generation, yeah. and so we're there. Mm-hmm. And then the yep. final
0: step would be it's thinking for itself?
1: No, see, and I think that that's kind of the problem is that we look at the final step as it's, quote, thinking for itself. It's, it's going to be next steps. I would say that, like, the transformative step is going to be kind of, like, automatically productive, technology which is going to be an agent that you give a broader prompt that then kind of operates and does a bunch of different stuff and comes back but would be like a very broad directive and then it would continue to do something I think those are some of the horror concepts of like Okay. We tell an AI fix the environment and it kills all humans. You know, I think that that's kind of the, and that's called alignment. That, that whole area of like consideration and research is called AI alignment, which is very important. And I think AI alignment is one thing we do not spend remotely enough energy on, on a conceptual basis, because a lot of it's like ethics and harm reduction. And whereas alignment is more like, okay, how aligned is an AI as a general matter with human interests? Right, which of course also requires you to define human interests, which is fun itself. Right. Mm. There's
0: a lot of focus already on bias in AI. Like mm-hmm. everyone's aware of the bias when you have humans programming. Mm-hmm. The machines, the machines are then going to have blind spots based on who the humans are programming them. And then some of the bias is also just we need to correct for things that might happen, like who's the most creditworthy person. Mm-hmm. That might actually be an illegal answer if the machines decide.
1: Yeah. so But I think both of those are interesting things. Like, first of all, I think the importance of the person creating the technology is actually a little bit tuned more towards their knowledge of potential outcomes Right. Like, what are things that disproportionately impact certain communities that like us, a more homogenous group of people may not be able to understand, know about or avert? The second component is about the bias in the data. Right. And I think that this is actually a little bit of a it's a dangerous thing for me to broach right now and perhaps in general. But bias in data is more about bias in society. Right. It's about the fact that, like, even even far more than who's coding because. Coding and AI is pretty much about putting in data and being a data architect and a data scientist more than it is manually configuring much, except for, again, kind of the variables and parameters and outcomes, which is very important. But that data that's implicit throughout all of humanity, kind of, that's being pulled into these things, it contains all structural inequality. It contains all kind of like human goodness and badness. There's a Vorner Herzog thing on Netflix a while ago called it was like the awesome, that's like the awesome and terrible internet. It's wrong. The actual title was amazing. I hate that I can't remember it, that's but good. the conclusion, I hate it though, but the conclusion, <laughs> conclusion was just like the internet is us. It's awesome and terrible. Just like we are, it aggregates our good things. It aggregates our bad things. It lays us kind of bare in front of ourselves and the world. Interesting quirk is that as you get these, you're talking about the bigger general models as they get larger and larger in terms of their, the amount of data that's contained in them, they get more racist Is it a quirk purely of the way that the model looks at information? Is it it some type of representation of a fact of like you aggregate certain parts of base humanity and it's like disproportionately prioritizes the majority more and more over time? That's so, a really, yeah.
0: really interesting point that the more data you get, the more you have certain – you see certain trends.
1: Actually, there's a presentation about this on my website from my kickoff event where a guy named Jack Clark, who's a co-founder, and I'm like a horrible fanboy of his since I always bring him up.
0: I've seen you bring him up multiple times, I including just, uh, his newsletter. Do you want to plug his newsletter? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I, I always do. Yeah, jack-clark.net is the best newsletter possible. He just is an incredible person for bringing a bunch of data together. Nobody else does. But he has a presentation on my website called Why Is AI So Crazy Right now, feel like that's a killer thing to watch if you want deeper dive into what I just said. But a point he makes is that, like, AI is a funhouse mirror, right? That at the end of the day, AI is, like, making parts of us bigger and parts of us smaller. And it's warping it in ways that we don't necessarily understand. The bigger it gets, the more those distortions are. It's, right.
0: it's really interesting. And I actually feel like – so I, again – I'm um, like in Man. You just saw me try mm. to get airdropped photos to my phone. And that because was awesome. i I, I
1: loved everything about it.
0: I <laughs> won't pay 99 cents to yeah. Tim Cook yeah. to get cloud storage. I don't have enough cloud storage. Another example on LinkedIn, nothing on my LinkedIn says anything about being a woman, even though I've gotten mm-hmm. accolades at times for being like the most powerful woman. I don't use the word she, her, mm. or any of those accolades. Mm-hmm.
1: I like that your pronouns are your accolades. I feel like we should all look at it more like that. So
0: I don't have any of that, but mm-hmm. and yet And yet I get more content telling me how to up level my career, how to negotiate for a raise, Mm -hmm. how to all of these things. And I actually find it sort of offensive. It drives me nuts. I don't want it. I haven't Mm -hmm. asked for it. It's based on assumptions about what my career is like.
1: Based mm-hmm. on
0: clearly they can scan, I guess, my photo or other. I, who knows? But my point is it drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. So then I try to reduce the information I'm giving the algorithm. I try to remove information because I'm feeling like it's making assumptions about me. And I know people might want their Google Home device or their Alexa mm-hmm. device to know what they want because it makes their life easier to get around and navigate. But there are people like me feeling as though I don't really want it guessing what I'm going to do mm-hmm. next.
1: Mm hmm whenever your profile matches certain stuff within the model, right? Removing data on your page is not going to go and remove it from the model, right? So kind of the funny thing is your answer is to engage with those things and click the little button and click, I don't like this. Yeah, That's actually the only good way to rapidly adjust your content in any of those sites. Second thing is, I think that, I think there's two aspects of recommendation that are obnoxious. First of all, it's an argument for, Again, the same thing I was just talking about, which is kind of broadening participation in the creation of artificial intelligence. You represent an archetype. You represent a community of women, right, who feel similarly to you. And if it's not you that's getting involved in creating these things and acknowledging that feedback on a more intimate basis, then it's likely to stay in like the likely to stay in the request pile. Right now, it's not to say that it's your responsibility to go fix everything that pisses you off. But at the same time, I think it does make somewhat of an argument for broadening participation.
0: Instead of removing data, I should engage with the algorithm and just tell it this actually really bugs me.
1: Yeah, because it's the only thing that's going to work at the end of the day. Effectively, at some point, you or somebody else on your Wi-Fi, which, by the way, the computers can't actually at this point process your spoken word at a rate. Possible for them to be eavesdropping all the time, but everybody thinks everybody thinks that they are. But that's because what you and the people that share your internet access, so on your Wi-Fi, it aggregates those things too, right? in some way have represented your interest in this thing. And that's why it feels like they're listening to you. And it's also because our memories themselves are imperfect, right? Like whenever we're talking or doing most things, it goes back into our own little fuzzy AI model and just changes how you perceive the world. And a lot of your memories are like illusions for the sake of rationalizing whatever your little model is.
0: You've just answered a question when Mm. I was getting, I have a gallery wall in this podcast studio And when I went to get things framed, the number one question of the kids framing them, Mm -hmm. I said, Oh, I'm doing this podcast on tech. What are you interested in? They said, Why is my phone listening to me? Why is it always giving me ads for stuff I didn't say out loud? I got an ad for a gravity blanket had never typed that word. I did want a gravity blanket. Mm -hmm. But maybe you're right. Maybe I just forgot that I said it.
1: You, for, you may have forgot that you typed something about it. You may have been searching for or listening to or engaging with some My content. My
0: co-worker yeah. was talking about weighted blankets.
1: And that See, that's the funny thing. So if you were on the shared Wi-Fi, she was talking about yeah. weighted – or he is talking he, about weighted even blankets. men,
0: want, they want Well, blankets.
1: no, I honestly thought you had a – team of only women that's why i say this oh like a coven yeah Yeah, like a coven i mean some (laughs) of my favorite teams are teams of only women i always respect it that's that is what throws people off so much you're sharing the wi-fi and it aggregates your recommendations based upon who's like sharing your wi-fi
0: this podcast has just illuminated many things for people like (laughs) winner five stars okay let's talk briefly because i know you have to go in a moment Mm -hmm. seed ai Mm -hmm. What exactly are you doing, and why?
1: Okay, so near the end of my time at NVIDIA, there was a project that we kicked off because one of the co-founders had made a donation to his alma mater, which was the University of Florida. But instead of just getting a building for himself, he was like, "All right, let's change the trajectory of Florida. Let's, you know, let's really jumpstart y'all up into this, you know, AI trajectory to the stars." Right, and so he ended up working on a deal with them where he would give, you know, I think NVIDIA and maybe Chris jointly gave like 70 or 100 million dollars or something and then which everybody listening that wants free computers was chris can't get a gigantic <laughs> free computer from Nvidia. that was we'll a drop email in the man remote. i'll tell you a lot of people really was like whoa free gigantic computers going around what's that all about They're like no no stop anyways and so we kind of worked something out where the state and the university combined would put a huge investment behind building up ai curriculum hiring new researchers hiring new educators who could teach AI side like start working out deals with You know, the surrounding both like lower research capacity and minority serving institutions to help take their AI across the curriculum. And so it was about getting a powerful enough computer to do cutting edge AI research. It was about them having a big body of data. And in Florida's case, it's a big body of healthcare data. Right. That they have, you know, the federal data protections. They have the necessary agreements in place to securely use that data. It required investments in educators. Right. And required investments in talent. Right. And then it required partnerships, right, and curriculum designed for those partnerships to help lift up the surrounding school system areas and especially those parts of it that are underserved. And I really loved it. I thought it answers a lot of questions that people have been asking. I think it helps take some of the base components of understanding AI and also puts them into a very practical form. And I really wanted to run hard at trying to make that a policy kind of like a key policy priority or a key area of engagement. Um, Of course, it's a little bit difficult to do something like that at a company because it is inherently such a big tent enterprise. It needed to be balanced and I needed to have the ability to work proactively with, you know, public and private stakeholders, right? So I took off at the end of last year, had my kickoff event. And since then, I've been working to kind of build out into, and, and the reason it's called Seed AI, as I just described these components I mean, effectively, the operating principle is you have a lot of communities that don't have access to these aggregated resources. And I'm trying to help focus that specifically into this idea of we can start from a concrete example. We can start from a template. We can create modular kind of modular components to that that we can use to adapt to all different types of communities. And then you can focus investment both from the public sector and from the private sector to build up durable, long term AI ecosystems. And so, like I said, I call it seed AI because you bring together these components right into to not overly stretch the metaphor into a seed. And then whenever you pop that anywhere, you will generate a form of AI Mm -hmm. ecosystem.
0: So the idea is you're standing up. Individual projects Mm -hmm. that bring together different parts of the ecosystem makes any project Mm -hmm. work in tech. But Mm -hmm. in this case, it would be government resources, potentially corporate resources, philanthropic resources, educational resources to have one ecosystem, one project that you're building and each one of these projects could be a brick in the road of the foundation for america's ai mm-hmm. path
1: yeah yeah i mean that is kind of what we hope You are just going to have foundations that are custom cut for each community so that they can build with their greatest strengths and address their greatest concerns so they're bespoke yeah it's a bespokeness but each one is built of the same blocks to your point right and so you know it's not just a convening exercise with seed ai as much as it is like hey we have you know we have this plot right we have this plot we know all the things we need to build this thing right and we're just asking you each for your information or for your contribution into doing this and if we do successfully put this effort in and build this foundation we know there's a ton of energy to fill it and if you think about china and the mobile first generation Right. And what that did for for China's tech scene, for what it did for kind of the adoption of the entire country of an entirely new new class of economic and technological participants. I mean, I think we have an opportunity for an AI first generation. Right. And some of that goes back to the earlier conversation about having no code technology. Right. Having these increasingly general models where we're now getting to where like AI makes AI. Now, you still have to tell that first AI what you want. the Second one. I mean, again, (laughs) imprecise. But we're increasingly getting it to that point. And so as we approach like maximum accessibility for whatever current epoch, we have to be sure that when that happens, we are prepared to have as many people as possible being able to take advantage of that new environment So that we can spread the, you know, all the different reasons why we would do that. A big part is social cohesion. A big part of it is economic development. A big part of it is local competitiveness, leading into national competitiveness, right? In a way that without this investment, we wouldn't be able to do because there's only so much shit a person like me can think of, or a person like you, or a person like everybody I've ever met at every tech company, right?
0: That's a perfect thing to end on. Yeah. There's only so much each of us can do if we're, it's not really convening, it's collecting of energy and resources and putting them into projects that are bespoke that are tailored to each community and, and channeling all this energy. And there is excitement if you're excited about it. SeedAI.org. Yeah. Check out your sizzle reel and your and Jack Clark's content. Yeah, yeah, We're going to yeah. drop a bunch of things into the show notes. Austin, thank you so much for taking the time No, today.
1: it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Next week, I'm talking tech clash and big tech crisis response strategies with author Nirit Weissblatt. If you enjoy Teched please consider giving us a rating or even better, a review. You may have noticed that the search function in podcast apps is pretty crummy, so your feedback really helps other people find the show.
1: Thanks.